a series called First Things. Uh, if you have your Bibles, our main text this morning is going to be 2 Corinthians 9. So you can go ahead and turn there. It'll take me a little bit to get there. Let me ask you a question as you're turning. Um, how many of you would agree with me? And I'm not, I'm not trying to just elicit hands in the air. Don't put your hand up if you don't agree. But how many of you, by a show of hands, would say that there's absolutely nothing that I want to hinder my joy in God and in Christ, that I am not going to let anything, no topic, no issue, no thing go unaddressed that might stand in the way, uh, or that if I understood it better or leaned into the Lord in this particular area better, that I could grow in my joy in God. How many of you agree with me on that? Just raise your hands. Okay. All right. Good. Most of you. I want to talk about giving. It's not a bait and switch. It's really, really where I'm going with this, okay? I want to talk about, listen to me. I want to talk about giving as a spiritual fruit, not as an obligation or biblical law. And I think I can make a case biblically, I'm going to try to this morning, for why I think giving for us as new covenant believers is not a law, but it is a spiritual fruit. And that if we lean into it, our joy in God's going to increase. So if you can at least grace me that much to say, you know what, by the end of this, I might be led by the Lord to have my joy increase in Him. Track with us. We're going to talk about it. Here's the title of my message. To tithe or not to tithe, that is the question. I thought that's pretty clever myself. I don't know about y'all. To tithe or not to tithe, that is the question, Right? All right, I put that in our service uh, planner, and I just thought, man, everybody's going to look at that and go, oh, man, that's awesome. You know, whatever. I don't know if they did or not, but that's, that's the question. Let, let me talk to you a little bit about tithing, because I think this is one of the most misunderstood things for a lot of Christians and a lot of people that go to church, okay, is tithing. Uh, I think that there are issues with our understanding that with that across multiple generational lines, and I think it has a huge impact on how we understand the gospel is this issue of tithing. And I'm going to explain to you why. Tithing is an old word that just means tenth, right? Ten percent. The nation of Israel in the Old Testament was not a democracy. It was a theocracy. Okay? And that's huge to understand. Democracy, it was not a people who were ruling themselves. It's not a government by the people, for the people, you know what I'm saying? It was a theocracy. They were God-ruled, and God mediated His rule through His officers, known as the priesthood. And in order to fund God's theocracy, there was a command, a law, known as tithing. Every Jew would give 10% of his or her money, goods, commodities, what have you, to fund the priesthood, this institution or this theocratic government that God had set up with his people. In fact, it, it would be better for us to think of tithing in the Old Testament more like a tax. How many of you are excited about April 15th? Huh? So, it's more like a tax. In fact, the Jewish taxation system is actually a model for our American taxation system. Every year, Jews were commanded to give 10% to fund the priesthood. 
Every year they were also commanded to give an additional 10% to fund their feasts and celebrations, i.e. Passover. In addition to that, they were commanded to give an additional 10% every third year to support the poor. So if you break that up and do the math, every Jew paid about 23 to 24% of taxes every year. Sound familiar? Okay, so that, that was the Jewish system. But tithing, which is a part of that, was not, this is huge, free will giving. It was not free will giving. It was a law. It was an obligation. It was a tax, which helps us understand what God is saying through the prophet in Malachi chapter 3. Look at it with me on the screen. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? God's not talking about free will giving right here. He's talking about the command to tithe to fund the priesthood through which God mediated his theocratic rule over the nation of Israel. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How you say, but you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Old Testament tithing as a tax, not free will giving, helps us understand what God is saying right there. Okay. Additionally, it helps us understand why the Jews hated the tax collectors so much. If you remember, by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, Israel is no longer a sovereign nation. They are ruled by Rome. And so picture this. Imagine being a Jew. Your heritage is... You pay your taxes, at least in one sense, directly to God. You pay your taxes, your tithe is part of that, to fund a God-ruled nation. And now, that's your heritage, now you've been occupied by pagan Rome. And Rome has hired Jews to collect taxes from Jews. Mmm, is right. That's how they felt. Huh? That's why when you read the Bible, you will find tax collectors and sinners grouped together. You with me? They hated them because they were they were traitors. It's also, you remember when Jesus was asked by the religious leaders, hey Jesus, what do you think about paying taxes to Caesar? You understand where that question's coming from now, don't you? And you also should understand how earth-shattering it was for Jesus to say, render to Caesar what Caesar's and to God what is God's. Can you imagine how that landed on the Jews? Right? But this is, this is what's going on here. Tithing is not free will giving. Here's an example of free will giving in the Old Testament. You remember when David was commissioned by God to raise money to build the first Jewish temple, Solomon's temple. And here's what David said to the nation. He says, bring what you can. It was free will. And they did. They brought jewels and they brought gold. And it got so crazy that David actually had to tell the nation, stop 
We've got too much. That's an example of free will giving, but that's not what we would, how we should understand what tithing was in the Old Testament. Okay, now, a little example from my own life. I grew up with this understanding, whether it was explicit or implicit, this understanding that tithing was a rule. You got 10 bucks, you give. Look at you math majors. That was a rule. And if I broke the rule, I was going to be cursed. Even if I gave 9.9, I was not going to get the blessing and locusts were going to come eat my grass. <laughs> what it says, right? I'm going to rebuke the devourer. That's, a, that's, that's sort of pointing to some sort of you know, infestation that's devouring crops, right? So I, somebody's going to eat my grass or there's going to be a hole in my wallet if I don't pay 10%, not 9.9, 10%. And I remember my first job out of college and I worked for a church and the accountant came to Mary and I and said, hey, we do this for the other pastors. Would you like for us to deduct your tithe from your paycheck and pay it for you so you don't have to, this was back in the day when you actually had to write checks, you don't have to write the check all the time. I'm like, that's a great idea. Awesome. Yes, sign me up. And then she said this, would you like to tithe on the gross or the net? I had to think about that. And it was kind of... Uh, it's kind of baffling me. I never thought about that before. The gross or the net? Boy, that's a good question. If it's a rule, then I better make sure I get this right. So I went to the lead pastor of the church and I said, what do you think about this? And this is literally what he said to me. He said, well, do you want to be blessed on the gross or the net? And I'm like, that settles it right there. <laughs> right? I've even talked with retired people who are drawing money, follow me, drawing money out of a retirement account that they've invested in throughout their career. And these people grow up with the ethic of tithing. And I've literally been asked, do I have to pay tithes on money I've already paid tithes on? Should I just pay tithe on the interest? You know, do I get to retire from giving like I retire from my career? Because, you know, that's, I've already, you follow, is this how God wants us to think about our giving? I mean, if you just zoom out and look at it, think about it for a second, you realize there's something missing here when we think about tithing as a rule. And here's the point that it brings us to, is our understanding of the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is so crucial. And this, it's crucial to our understanding of the gospel and to our relationship with God and how we walk out that relationship in all areas of our lives is how does this Old Testament law like tithing among other things, relate to the New Testament. Look with me at Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. This is probably one of the most important passages in Scripture, in my opinion. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Paul writes and says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So, before I read any further, Paul is contrasting law-keeping 
obeying the rules, don't want to get punished, don't want to be cursed, want to be blessed. He's contrasting relating to God through obedience to a law versus bearing fruit. Am I reading that right? Obedience to the law versus bearing fruit. Something has changed, okay? Verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So what? So that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. You remember the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31 verse 33. God says there's coming a day where I'm going to put my law in their minds and I'm going to write it on their hearts. Which means that as we follow God and obey His commands as born again, spirit-filled people, it's not a matter of keeping rules, it's a matter of bearing fruit. In other words, we're not just trying to keep the law to avoid punishment, fulfill obligations. Something organic is happening. Something is being produced outwardly because of something that's happened inwardly. And we call that salvation. You with me? Here's the problem when we cherry pick laws from the Old Testament like tithing and try to Partner them up with the gospel of grace. How many of you are thankful for grace? Huh? Because you understand, if we're going to have relationship with a perfect God, guess what we've got to be? Say it. Let that land on you. We've got to be perfect. God doesn't accept 9.9. He can't. He can't go, oh, you're close enough. No, he's holy. He's righteous. And a holy and righteous God can accept nothing less than perfection. So, thank God for the grace that He's given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because, we're all going to admit this, we can't keep the whole law. Right? So, if it's actually, listen to me, it's actually deadly, spiritually speaking, to try and live under grace in Christ, but then tack on laws and rules. Let me show you what I mean by that. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you, Galatians, Resurrection Church, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Wow. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Here's what was going on in Galatia. They loved Jesus. They loved grace. Yes, we believe Jesus died for sins. He rose again. We have new life in him. We're under grace. But we're going to keep circumcision as a rule. Yes, salvation by faith, through, by grace through faith. But if you're not circumcised, you're not in. We're going to keep that as a rule. And here's what Paul says. If you're going to do that, Christ is of no advantage to you. And you are obligated to keep the whole law. So, if we want to do the same thing with tithing, if we want to say, okay, 
Yes, grace, we're free. Jesus fulfilled the law. We're going to keep tithing as a rule. You don't do it, you're cursed. That's the language. You understand that, right? This is not just, hey, you don't do it, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to get that cost of living increase at the end of the year. This is, you don't do this, you're cursed. We're going to tack that on. Here's what Paul would say to us. Christ is of no advantage to you. And you're going to have to keep the whole law. So, all that to say, tithing is no longer a law. It's not a law. You're free. You're not obligated. Some of you are like, man, I love this church. <laughs> Woo! It's true. You're, you're free. You're free. But here's what I want to show you today. And I, this is so crucial to our relationship with Jesus. Not because it's an issue of salvation, but because it's an issue of being able to step into the blessings and the promises of God in Christ, to lean into this new life in Christ that has been afforded to us. And I want to show you how that happens. I want to talk about three characteristics of giving as a spiritual fruit, not a law. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. The point is this, Paul says, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give what, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here's characteristic number one of giving as a spiritual fruit. Freedom. You give freely. I, I watched a video this week. One of my favorite pastors, preachers, John Piper. And he was telling the story. It's, I think it's like the 30th anniversary or something of um, him writing the book Desiring God. If you've never heard of that book, it's fantastic. Highly recommend it. Sold millions of copies around the world. And he told the story about how it became pretty clear to him early on that the book was going to be incredibly successful, and it was. We're talking millions of dollars. I think I read a statistic recently, and I don't think I got this wrong, is that something like eight to 10,000 copies of Desiring God are still being sold every day. It's pretty amazing. Lots and lots and lots of money. And he said when he and his wife realized that this was what was happening, here's what they did is they got together and they prayed and he said I told my wife I don't want to be rich Piper I like you what it's literally what he said I don't want to be rich he said because the last thing I want at this stage in my life is for my heart to get attached to stuff. He said, I make a good salary. I have everything I need. He, he said to his wife, Noel, we're going to form a board, which they did. And we're going to form a foundation, which they did. And, and this is what he said. He said, my favorite part of the year is at the end of the year when I get together with my board and we give away millions of dollars. 
That's not law keeping. That's freedom. See, when you, as a born again, spirit filled believer, here's what I'm advocating for is that Paul says, each one of us, who's he talking about? He's talking about born again, spirit filled people. He's not talking to unregenerate people who don't have the spirit. He's talking about people who have been filled with the Spirit of God, and he's saying, lean into the Spirit to make your giving decision, not out of obligation, not under compulsion, but freely. And here's what happens. When we lean into the Spirit, do you know what he does? Romans 8, 16, look at this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's what I think happened for Piper, is that... The Spirit testified when all of a sudden he saw the tidal wave of wealth coming his way. Something rose up on the inside of him that said, No, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to be blessed and rich in God, not stuff. He took Jesus at his word and said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. Because then I store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. You know what the Spirit's going to do when you lean into Him to make your giving decision? He's going to remind you that you're a child of God, not of this world. He's going to remind you that you belong to an eternal kingdom. And He's going to remind you that everything you have is a gift from God and all belongs to Him. And He's going to lead you, not under compulsion or coercion, but in freedom. Because the trajectory of our lives now in Christ, this is huge, is to be rich in God, not stuff. And I know there's something in you and there's something in me right now that's pushing back against that. And I can tell you, it's our flesh. It's our flesh that wants to hold on to that which we think brings us joy. When all the while God is trying to... You understand, giving as a spiritual fruit is not about what God's trying to get from us. It's about what He's trying to get to us. What's He trying to get to us? It's characteristic number two. Giving as a spiritual fruit. is freedom and it's joy. Verse 7 again. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, a while ago I said, you're not obligated, you're free. And I can see that that hit some of you like, whoa, Bradley. You know, let me just talk about us pastors. I've been one, you know, pretty good while, 20 years. And I can tell you, there's a fear that I have to fend off. Is that if I, you know, I think tithing has been preached as a rule and a law. It's been cherry picked. A lot of times because pastors are afraid if they don't put guilt on people, they won't give. Can I, can I, can I be transparent? Right? That's, that's the fear. And I think that I think that we can't imagine, it's hard for us to imagine, there being such joy in this freedom to give that the Spirit would lead us in this way. 
But here's what I think God is saying through Paul. God loves a cheerful giver. You can maybe rephrase it this way. God would say, if you're not giving in joy, if you're giving begrudgingly, if you're giving reluctantly, keep your money. Because God is not happy with our giving when we're not happy about our giving. Am I, am I reading that right? Verse 7, I think I'm reading that right. Is, is God's not happy about it. He'd say, keep your checks. Keep your clicks. Keep your texts. Keep your swipes. I don't want them. And I would say the same thing. I don't want this church to be built on begrudging checks, swipes, clicks, texts. We want happy checks. <laughs> happy swipes, happy clicks, happy texts. Why? Because that's what God wants for us. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about leaning into the Spirit to make our giving decision. The fruit of the Spirit is love and, say it, joy. That's what the Spirit does. He doesn't lead us. We don't keep in step with Him as He beats us over the head with rules. He leads us in joy. The Spirit is working with all His might and power to, to help us understand, to lead us in the understanding. There's greater joy for you when you let go of stuff, when you give it cheerfully, and you lean into me to lead you in freedom and in joy to store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. And it's a crazy kind of joy, y'all, that I feel like I've only scratched the surface of, if that, person. I'm just being honest with you. Because here's what I think, here's where I think it can end up. Flip back a page to chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. This is the example Paul gives. Verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, so their circumstances are not great, to understate it. Their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. This is freedom. Nobody's putting a gun to their head. Nobody's putting a guilt trip on them. They are begging to give, verse 4, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Begging. Let me offer this challenge to all of us when it comes to making our giving decisions. Stop. Don't think I'm throwing tithing. I'm throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close and bring it full circle. But when you are leaning into the Spirit to make your giving decisions, don't aim at a percentage. Lean in for joy. And I promise you, if you do that, I think the amount will take care of itself. It's been said, I don't know how many times, if everybody just tithe, the church wouldn't lack for anything. Probably true relative to where our standards are right now. But I'd say this. If the church, if everybody leaned into the Spirit for joy, 
to make their giving decisions, God would do things beyond our wildest imagination. Hebrews says, the new covenant, it's better. There's something better that has not negated Malachi 3, but it's opened a whole new world of possibility because God is no longer relating to us via a law, but by His Spirit who wants to lead us in freedom and joy. Number three. Giving as a spiritual fruit is about freedom and joy. It's also about faithfulness and consistency. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound. Everybody say abound, please. In every good work. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I don't think that Paul... Let me say it this way. It's hard for us, isn't it? to imagine joyful activity being consistent. Right? Like, if, if you stop and think about it, we tend to think of joyful activity as fleeting. And anything that is habitual is probably immoral or a begrudging discipline. Am I the only one that has felt that sometimes? It's like when you get on a health kick Right? You look at your pantry and you're like, this is ridiculous. And you throw everything away, join a gym, buy some new workout clothes and running shoes. And for the first couple of trips, it's fun. It's joy. Yeah. And then you binge on a vacation or a weekend. And what was once a joy becomes a begrudging discipline. It's like even when you get on a spiritual high. And you decide, I'm, you tell everybody, too. You put it on Facebook, on Instagram. You start posting pictures of your Bible and stuff. I'm going to get up early and have my devotion before the sun comes up and the kids get up. I'm going to do it every morning. And then you stay up late watching football. <laughs> or fixer up or whatever your pleasure. And all of a sudden, what was once a joy becomes a begrudging discipline. It's hard for us in our flesh to imagine joyful activity being consistent. But here's what the Spirit wants to do. Paul could not have imagined born-again, Spirit-filled believers leaning into the Spirit to make their giving decisions, giving in a haphazard, sporadic, inconsistent way. I don't think that, that would have not even registered with him. But it's like we've been saying, the Christian life is, is a big paradox. Is that God, by Spirit, writing His law on our minds, putting them in our hearts, is going to lead us not only in freedom and in joy, but in consistency and faithfulness. Because it's better. That's who He is. So giving is a spiritual fruit. It's about freedom. It's about Joy, and it's about faithfulness and consistency. And there is a promised blessing. Verse 6, again. The point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
This is not a prosperity gospel sermon. I don't know that there's a teaching, you know, that is being perpetuated right now that I detest more than that. Lots of reasons. You want to know why? Let's sit down and have coffee. We'll talk about it. There's no promise in Scripture that when we give, that God's going to make everybody wealthy. There's no promise in Scripture. But there is no way around the New Testament promise that God is going to bless those who lean into the Spirit for freedom, joy, faithfulness, and making their giving decision that God will bless. Look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. There's no way to interpret verse 10 any other way than to to conclude that with God it's addition by subtraction. Now, God does not promise to make everybody wealthy, but here's what I think we can bank on from 2 Corinthians 9. Two things. Okay, ready? It's huge. When we lean into the Spirit to make our giving decisions and we participate with Him in free, joyful, consistent giving, We can be guaranteed there is a promise from God that we will have what we need and we will never lack for the resource to give as the Spirit leads. I think you can bank on that. I'm not promising you that you'll upgrade from a Toyota to a Mercedes any any more than I could promise somebody in a third world country that you will upgrade from your makeshift sandals to a pair of rainbow flip-flops. Zoom out. It's one of the reasons I can't stand a prosperity gospel. But here's what you can be guaranteed. Guaranteed. God will supply your need And you'll have every resource to give as He leads. It's a guarantee. Let me give you just a personal example, okay? I've been married almost 19 years. And my income has varied uh, over the years, over those 19 years. Um. But Marion, there's never been a month in 19 years of marriage where Mary and I have given less than 10%. Let me bring this full circle, okay? For 10% for us, not because it's a law, not because it's a rule we're trying to keep, but because it's, it's our joy. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you that there haven't been months where what I wanted, I couldn't have. And I think about all the money we gave. And that didn't sting at first. I'm not going to tell you there haven't been moments like that. 
But what I can tell you is that now for the last, I don't know how many years, we've given beyond the tithe. We give more than 10%. Not because it's a rule or a law or because we're trying to get extra credit with God. Because it's a joy. And I'll give you a little tangible example. I know you all probably tired of hearing me talk about our vacation to Disney. But it, it, it was, it was, there, there's something the Lord's been teaching us through it. And I think it's purposeful. That, it, that that trip happened right before we launched Discover Life. All of 2016, we saved. A little bit here, a little bit there, as much as we could every month. People give us money, we put it aside, we paid for this vacation. We were not going to go into debt to go to Disney World. And I don't have to tell you how much that stuff costs, you know. So we did, we saved, and it was so much fun. We, we both grew up in homes where family vacations were like core values. I mean, we just, we always went, no matter what we did or how much money we had to spend or not, we always went together and we did stuff together as a family and it was so huge and so important and so valuable. And we got to do that with our two little ones. We loved it. And we're on the way home from Orlando in that long car ride talking about how we want to go back as soon as we can. And then the Lord said, I want you to give to Discover Life. Now, mind you, this is on top of our tithe. I want you to give to Discover Life what you saved and spent on Disney World. So that's what we did. And there have been moments where we... I wish Mary would quit following Disney World on Instagram because she keeps getting all these posts and we're like, oh, we want to go. But then the other day, she, we got all our giving statements. The lion's share of our giving goes here to Resurrection Church. There, some percentage of it goes to some other ministries, some mentors in my life. Um, but the lion's share goes here. We got all our giving statements and she told me what we gave. And it was, there was joy. It was like, and I've meditated on it, and I've thought about it, and there really is a greater joy in me for how the Lord led us in giving versus how we spent on temporal things. There really is a greater joy. When I step back and I think about how the Lord has kept His kingdom front and center in our lives, not beating us over the head, but leading us in freedom and joy to be faithful and consistent, it's a greater joy. There will be greater joy in seeing the resources God has entrusted to you go to His kingdom than to spend it on temporal things. And I'm not saying there's not joy in a vacation or in buying a new prom dress, or a new home, or buying a new set of golf clubs, or fishing rods, or whatever your pleasure. And in no way does the Bible say those things are wicked. I just hear the Lord saying, would you trust me for a greater joy? Would you stop letting your heart get attached to stuff that at the end of the day it gets pushed out to the curb? I said this a couple of weeks ago. It gets pushed out to the curb with the trash on trash day. a greater joy in it. I don't say all that to brag. I'm really just trying to testify 
trying to testify that this, this is something we've lived and it's worth it. It's worth it. Don't try to follow a rule. Don't give begrudgingly. Lean into the Spirit. Our praise team's coming. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. In the seat backs in front of you, there's a, a card that says Step Up 2018 to 2020. And on the back, there's an opportunity to just commit to make a giving decision. Really, that's the way I want to say it. To make a giving decision. Perhaps you're here and you have not even thought about or talked with your spouse or your family or, or prayed about, what are we going to give this year? Because I don't think that leaning into the Spirit means that we simply survey our financial landscapes and figure out what amount of leftovers we've got to give. I think it's pray. Lean into the Spirit. And make a giving decision cheerfully. And this is just an opportunity for you to do that. I, listen, my staff might get mad at me, but I don't care if you turn these in. Take these and do whatever you feel led to do. Take them home and pray about them. Put them on your refrigerator. Stick them in your Bible. But have a conversation with God and with those that you partner with in stewardship, whether that's your spouse or your children. Pray, talk with God, have those conversations and be led by the Spirit with joy and freedom. It's the Lord speaking right there. In freedom, with joy, and faithful, consistent, regular, habitual, joyful activity. Just be led by the Spirit. Perhaps you're here and you're like, I've never given at all. Take a step up. Step of faith. And begin not with, well, what am I going to give? Just begin with worship. Lean into the Spirit. That's what we're going to do right now. Is we're going to worship. We're going to celebrate our Savior. We're going we're to see and savor His beauty and worth. And then as you do that, as you leave here, I want to challenge you to make your giving decision prayerfully as you do that so just lean into the spirit maybe you have been a haphazard sporadic inconsistent giver pray worship see and savor his beauty and worth and lean in for the promise of joy maybe you are a faithful consistent uh, joyful giver but don't think this is something that Mary and I have tried to do as well is that you don't, you don't check the 10% box and then go home. It's like, let God lead you, continue to lead you, no matter what giving level you're at or what, how consistent you are. Let Him continue to lead you in greater joy. So this is for all of us. Amen? Myself included. Let's stand. So Holy Spirit, thank you for what you've already done through the Word. Through the preached word, it's not about me or who I am. It's about you and your word. And so thank you for what you've already done in our hearts and lives. And I just ask that that would continue as we sing. Help us see and savor your beauty and worth. And then let it translate into a leaning in 
to the Spirit to make joyful giving decisions. To store up treasure in heaven, not on earth. To be rich in you, not in stuff. In Jesus' name, amen.